Good evening, Redemption Tempe. My name is uh, Jim Mullins. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, we're a church. We are one of six congregations that make up Redemption Church. And basically, we are all about making disciples who live all of life, all for Jesus. And so uh, this evening, I'm going to start with a few announcements. And we're going to continue with the all of life interviews that we've been doing. Our first announcement is that we have uh, a guest speaker coming in on August 7th. We've told you about this before. We've announced it. I believe we announced it last week. And this is a really significant event to be at. We're bringing in a guest speaker named Dale Keene, and he's coming to talk about uh, biblical sexuality. Uh, we're partnering with Redemption Arcadia, and we're going to fill this room here at 6 p.m. on August 7th. And, and Dale Keene, who's uh, he's one of the, he's a pastor, he's a professor, he's an extremely intelligent person who's able to talk about biblical sexuality, especially in light of the, the you know, the controversies around uh, gay marriage, and he, he's able to talk about it with a, a level of clarity and, and respect and biblical knowledge that I think that we will all benefit from. So um, again, August 7th, 6 p.m. in this room. We won't have child care, we won't have food, but we'll have some good stuff for you. So we'd encourage you to come. And as we've uh, been doing the last couple weeks, we've, we've been doing these all-of-life interviews. And we're going to continue this week, but we're going to do it a little different. The last couple weeks, we've focused on vocation. We've had an accountant up here, we've had a microbiologist. Uh, but this week, what we want to do is highlight some of our, our global vision and philosophy. We believe that God is, is sovereignly uh, at work to bring all people from all tribes, tongues, and nations to worship him. But, so therefore, we believe we should send people overseas to bear witness to Jesus. But also, we know that God is bringing the nations to our city. So we need to receive them with hospitality and, uh, and service with, with Jesus on our lips. So I want to start the interview uh, interviewing Emily and Megan, who are really the two, two faces that embody what our philosophy is all about. So I'm going to go ahead and start with Emily. And um, Emily has really led the way with much of what we've done serving refugees here locally. So why don't you start by telling us what you've done? Yeah, um, well... A couple years ago, Redemption made a connection with Imagine School, the charter school that's right down the street. I'm not even sure if that's the right direction, but it doesn't matter. Southern McClendock. Um, and we kind of talked to the principal and we're like, hey, you know, we really like what you're doing in the community. How can we partner with you? How can we help you? Um, and he said, well, we actually have had an influx of Somali families recently, and the parents have been asking for English classes. So do you think that you guys could offer that? Um, so we were like, sure. So we started offering English classes three nights a week. Um, to those parents, but then we kind of extended it to the full community. And so we have about 10 or 15 students that come regularly, um, not just from Somalia, but from like Iraq and Ethiopia and Libya and a bunch of other places. So um, it's been a really cool experience and program. Um, the teachers are volunteers, and they come from Redemption Tempe. So thank you, and if you want to get involved, talk to me. Um, and um, yeah, it's just been a really, really good time. It's, it's been amazing to see how Emily's uh, faithfulness and the other volunteers from Redemption with their real mentality of service has, has really engendered a lot of favor with the school, Imagine Schools. And Emily, you, you have done an incredible job. 
and we're losing you, unfortunately. God is bringing you to somewhere else. Where is he bringing you, and how can we pray for you? Um, a month from tomorrow, actually, I'm going to move to Seattle and pursue a master's in, in teaching English to adults, essentially, at TESOL, teaching English to speakers of other languages. So, yeah. Oh, how can you pay for me? Yeah. Um, probably just, I mean, everything that comes with the transition to a new city. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just that my education and experiences there would, like, prepare me for whatever God has next. That's great. So she's leaving some big shoes to fill. So we need other English teachers and other folks who want to step up and serve internationals uh, that God is bringing here. So now, uh, Megan, the English teacher in China, representing China here, tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, Well, I teach English in China. I've been over there for three years, and basically I teach university students. At my particular school, it's a teacher's college, so I teach students who become English teachers, uh, which is a great privilege because... uh, the main kind of core belief of the organization that I'm with, and I think it goes right along with what redemption is all about, is influencing um, people for Jesus that are going to be influencers. Um, And our students will be teachers, and they have hundreds of kids through their classrooms, maybe thousands throughout their career. Um, So that is what we do. We just teach English uh, at the university level. Uh, We have schools all over China, my organization that I go with, and Uh, Particularly at my school, we serve the northwest of China. So we provide about 75% of the teachers that go throughout all northwest China, these tiny little rural um, towns and small cities of about 2 to 3 million. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Sorry. My city's medium. It's 9 million. Wow. Um, But anyways, so our school sends teachers there where... um, they don't have a lot of teachers because nobody wants to go to the small towns of 2 million, I guess. Um, but it's a privilege to serve and um, really try to influence people for Christ just by teaching well and uh, leading by example in my classroom of how to be a good teacher. That's good. And uh, what's one way we could pray for you? Well, at my school in particular this year, we have a really exciting thing coming up in the fall. Uh, we have two different campuses, and the students have always lived somewhere else. Well, this year they're moving to our campus which is really exciting uh, because we can, like, have dinner with them randomly. We run into them on the way to the supermarket between classes. Um, it was kind of a long commute before. So just pray that we have, uh, of course, God's going to bring lots of opportunities. Uh, we have over 40,000 students at my school, and there are seven of us full-time believers kind of working with the same purpose in mind. So there's a lot of students, and there's a lot of chances. Just pray that we would uh, use our giftings and our limited resources well to do um, the work that God's already doing, that we wouldn't try to go outside of him and just make stuff happen, but really follow his will. That's good. So if, if you are interested in what we're doing with China, Redemption Tempe is taking a focus on China, and we're, we'll be doing some trips in the future. We're going to basically explain what that looks like. Uh, Ryan Arneson and I are going to have a little uh, China and Outward Focus ministry meeting on August 18th at 12.30 p.m., That's a Sunday, so come here if you want to hear about what we're going to do in China and if you want to be involved. Uh, So let's go ahead and and pray for these two and pray for our congregation. Father, Father, I'm I'm very grateful uh, for Emily and Megan and and what they represent. I'm I'm grateful for Emily and how she has uh, been a servant and uh, understood what you're doing in the world and how you're bringing the nations to the city. And how she has uh, served them. And we just pray that you would raise up many more servants like that. 
uh, many people who would uh, receive our international neighbors with hospitality and love in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for, um, for Megan, and we thank you uh, for the work that she's doing uh, in the universities in China. And we pray that your, your good news would go through China and, and would, would uh, fill China as the waters cover the sea. And that uh, you would use Megan and that you'd raise up other teachers and other people from within this congregation. We thank you for what you're doing in the world and how we get to partner with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you guys thank them again? If this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we are continuing in our series in Romans. This is week something in our series in Romans. We're going to be in it for a while. Uh, won't you meet me in Romans chapter 4? If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Um, so just raise your hand. Keep it raised high. And again, we are Romans chapter 4. Before we jump into that, a couple things. Uh, a couple months ago, we came and said, hey, our... Uh, Children's ministry is doubled, and so we need workers and volunteers to be able to serve with the children. And I just want to say thank you, one, because we had over 40 people that are going through the process right now to be in the classroom with the students, and that is amazing. So thanks a lot for that. Um, the second thing that I wanted to say to you guys, and this has nothing really to do with you guys, probably more to do with me, which happens to do with you, is um, yesterday I was in California for a wedding. Not a wedding. I was there for a vow renewal. A good friend of mine had gotten married 10 years ago and wanted to renew his vows and wanted me to do it. And I said, yeah, sure. Um, and so I flew out Saturday morning uh, and I was supposed to fly back late Saturday night. Uh, but I missed my flight, which I would love to blame somebody else, but it was my fault. I get to the airport and I thought it said a flight boarding in 20 minutes. I'm like, oh, I got time. So I went to a really, really nice restaurant in the, um, in the airport, McDonald's. And then I, I came back, and I'm sitting down, and it says, flight to Phoenix, 930, on time. And no one's boarding. I finally asked the guy, I said, hey, when is this going to board? He goes, oh, this flight's gone. And I realized, uh-oh, that just might be the most expensive burger I've ever had. And so, for, for, uh, unfortunately, there was no more flights leaving last night, so I flew out this morning and came here. One of the interns picked me up, went home, took a shower, thankfully for everyone else, and then came back here and uh, taught. So one of the things I told the morning services, I am kind of tired. Um, I will try not to talk as fast, but just give me some grace. There, there may be some heresy, cuss words. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what may come out of my mouth. No, no, out of overflow of the heart. It's not there. So, uh, so anyways, just giving you guys a heads up on that. Um, Romans chapter 4. One of the things I, I want to say to you to this service, I get that it's summertime, and it's hot, and we get it, right? I'm noticing that the 5 o'clock, which has always been my favorite service, don't tell any of the other services that, is that, is that there is kind of like this like laid back, chill, we're not going to respond. And my fear is there used to be a service at the Gilbert campus was the 4 o'clock service. And what I used to always say about that service was like, man, I think these are the people who were, they felt guilty because they didn't go to church in the morning, um, just woke up from a nap and showed up and go, here you right? And it was just kind of that mentality. I hope you guys don't have that. You're my favorite. Don't tell anybody else that. But you're my favorite. I want to make sure that there's, you know, there's, there's some interaction. There's some talking and stuff. Jim comes up and says, good evening. You guys are like, all right. All right. We got to make it happen. All right. Romans chapter 4. We, we are looking at today Father Abraham. And I'll get to that in just a second. Um, if you have not been traveling with us in Romans, uh, so far we've said this letter was written by a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. Paul was a guy who went around and he planted churches in different areas. What was unique in, about the church in Rome is Paul didn't plant this church. In fact, when Paul wrote this letter, he hadn't even visited this church. But he wanted the church here to know about the gospel. 
And so this church was a makeup of Gentiles. Those were people who were not ethnic Jews as well as Jewish people. And so for weeks, we look at Paul unpacking the argument that man himself, uh, humanity, is not, does not have righteousness or the ability to make ourselves right before God. Well, the past couple weeks, what Paul has been saying is God has done something unique. He's done something significant, that he's given us the gospel, the good news. And in the good news, what we've heard is words like justification, that we were made right before God, righteousness, that we have righteousness, not of our own, but God gives us his righteousness. And last week, at the very end of chapter 3, we we talked about boasting and how when you really understand the gospel and you understand grace, not something you've done, but something God's done on your behalf, there's no way that we should boast. And so what Paul begins to do now in Romans chapter 4 is he takes a cultural figure and tries to paint a picture for us of justification. Here's what I mean. Every culture has their heroes. They're men or women that we elevate and say, these are good examples. These are the type of people that we want our kids to grow up and be like. In the African-American community, it's Martin Luther King Jr. In the Latino community, it's, it's, it's guys like Cesar Chavez. These are people who are like icons, people we look to. In the Jewish tradition, in their culture, it was Abraham. Even more so than Moses. Abraham was the guy. Even in Christian circles, we've called him, we've nicknamed him Father Abraham. And there's been been songs written by Father Abraham, right? Well, they're not by him, but his predecessors. And uh, these these people begin to, uh, we begin to sing songs because Abraham is this man of faith. What's interesting is the Jewish people looked at Abraham as someone to be like. And so they said, here's Abraham, be like Abraham. And Paul is saying, I want to take this same cultural figure. And I want, I want to paint a picture of the gospel and what we can learn from justification by pointing to Abraham. That's a different way of which you are looking at it. So again, his original audience, the context, are people who were looking at Abraham and saying, we want to be like Abraham because Abraham's obedience is what made him righteous. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, let me retell the story of Abraham in light of the gospel. And so Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. If you have a pen, if you have a pencil, if you have a highlighter, I would highlight verse 3. Verse 3 is the central verse in this section. For the next three weeks, Paul is going to unpack and paint different pictures of what justification is. Here he starts by looking at Abraham. And so what we're going to do for the bulk of our time is we're actually going to go to Genesis. And here's why. We need to retell the story of Abraham. You see, what his audience knew Abraham. They knew, they knew the scripture. That's why Paul says, what does the scripture say? And so in order for us to understand um, and answer that question, we have to go back and look at the life of Abraham and find out what we learn about justification by looking at the picture of Abraham. So Genesis chapter 12, uh, all the way to the left, in the beginning of your Bible. As you turn there, let me catch you up to speed um, to Genesis 12. Genesis 1, God creates this world out of nothing. He speaks it into existence. At the very pinnacle of his creation, he creates mankind. He creates Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve and their rebellion, they sin against God, creating this chasm between man and God, that there's a separation. 
But what we see is God begins to intervene. That God begins to step in. And then we hear the first beginnings of the gospel in Genesis 3.15, well before the birth of Christ. And in Genesis 3.15, when God is pronouncing curses, he goes to Adam, he goes to Eve, and then he goes to the serpent. And what he says to the serpent, he says, this is what's going to happen. The woman's seed, meaning from a woman, a, a child will come. The woman's seed, you will strike his heel and he will crush your head. That was the beginning of the good news that God decided that he was going to work through and within human history to redeem the world. That on the cross, we see this fulfilled, that Christ is literally struck by Satan. Satan tried to strike his heel, but through his death and resurrection, he crushes his head and pronounces victory over sin, Satan, and death. Well, as Genesis continues to unfold, it unpacks all the way to the end of chapter 11. In fact, many, many biblical theologians would say, if you want to look at the narrative of the Bible, you can split it into two sections. Genesis 1 through 11. And, uh... It's like 15 years ago. What's going on? <laughs> in Genesis 12, all the way to Revelation. And you can see that. And then in Genesis chapter 12, we begin to pick up the story of Abraham. Now, three things we're going to learn about justification from Abraham. One, it's initiated by God. And because it's initiated by God, the second one is that failure is not fatal. And the reason that failure is not fatal is because grace is unconditional. So three things that we'll learn from the life of Abraham. Just the first part of Abraham's story is that justification is initiated by God. In justification, we understand that failure is not fatal because grace is unconditional. So Genesis chapter 12. It's initiated by God. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, the families of the earth shall be blessed. The first thing that we see is God initiates this. Abraham wasn't someone um, that was looking for God. What we know from Abraham from the very end of chapter 11 is that he was a man who had a son named Terah, um, and they were living in a place called Ur in the land of the Chaldeans. Um, this was a pagan culture, a culture that worshiped idols. He was not someone who was searching or worshiping God. God decides to move within human history. And Genesis chapter 12, why people would say this is the second part, is because God begins to show forth his plan of redemption to redeem the world. He begins to unpack what he started in Genesis 3.15 to show how he wants to save the nations. And this was good news. And the reason why we know this was good news is because later... In Galatians chapter 3, verses 8, Paul picks up this same idea and says, before the birth of Christ, before his life, his death, and his resurrection, that the scriptures, foreseeing what God was going to do, preached the gospel through Abraham. Meaning, the good news was that God was going to work within human history, that God sovereignly was going to move and act to redeem a people for himself. Not just the people who would come from Abraham's family, but this is what it says. He goes, I'm going to make you into a great family. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to do this. It's all on God. He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to do this. It was not up to Abraham. When when it comes to justification, how we were made right before God, um, it's the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. It is by faith, the instrument, that we rest upon God's promises. It's the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. It is grace. It is God's undeserving gift. It's the same in the Old Testament 
as it is in the New Testament. It's God initiating. And so what we see is this. We were not called because we were qualified, but we were qualified because we were called. I'm going to say that again. We're not called because of some pedigree that we have. In fact, um, many of us have read Hebrews chapter 11, which is known kind of as like the Hall of Fame list of faith. And one of the headliners on that list is Abraham. And we, we, we've often put people there, I want to be on that list. And oftentimes when we see lists, we know there's something we need to do to get on that list. Because they've done courageous things, these men and women of God we read in the Bible. But what Paul lets us know, and what we read when we read the Bible is, it was God's initiation. It was not God saying, I'm going to qualify, you have to be qualified in order for me to call you. It's that in his call, now he begins the work in our lives. He begins the work in Abraham's life, and Abraham responds. He responds. He takes his family, says, God says, leave, and, and I'm leaving. He doesn't have perfect obedience. God said, just take your family. That means take your wife, your livestock, and get out of here. He doesn't even tell him where, where to go. Abraham leaves, but he also takes his brother, which is something that God said not. God didn't say that. And so it's not perfect obedience. It's God's initiation. And the reason I want to point that out is, is because we look at people and we say they had big faith. We use language. We have big faith. It is not the, it's not the amount of faith. We said this before. It's the object of your faith. It's who you're resting in. It's who you're trusting in. So the first thing we see is that God himself initiates this. And what, what I love about this for implications for us is if God is the one who initiates, we want to look through the Bible and see who are the type of people that God begins to work with. And God's long plan of redemption to make his name known. Who does he begin to work with? What type of people? And when you look at the men and the women in the Bible, what you notice is there's no common pedigree. There's no common personality. Um, there's no common socioeconomic bracket of which they come from. There's no common race. There's no common background. God says, I, I will use any type of person that comes to me in repentance and faith. And that will listen to me in response to his moving, in response to his initiation. And that's what happens with Abraham. And so he leaves. It's the same thing that happened to us. Like God wasn't looking at us and saying, hey, you know what? You have potential. And I'm in this, I'm in this re- plan of redeeming the world. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some things. And I need some people. And uh, I think, yeah, yeah, you got potential, right? I, I've, I've never liked that word potential. And here's why. Usually when the word potential is used, it's used in maybe in you're a newcomer into your organization or it's used in sports and whatever it may be. Someone's looking at you and they meet in the compliment user and they go, wow, you have potential. And the reason why I never liked it is that comes with it an unbelievable amount of pressure. Because someone said, here's what I think you could become. And then what if you don't become that? You feel like a failure. All of us have had that at some point where someone, oh, you got potential. You could, you could be this. And then you feel the pressure to be that. And, and if, you don't, if you don't live up to it, you feel like you failed, right? That, that, that happens all the time to us, especially when we're growing up. Because someone said, you have the potential to do this. If you don't live up to it, it's like, ah. And sometimes I think we think God's like that. That God's going, you have potential, and I want you to live up to it. And if you live up to it, then, then things will be right. Not so with God. As we see in Abraham's life, Abraham believes God, he trusts God, and he begins to leave. And God doesn't use Abraham because Abraham has potential. God knows what he wants to do through Abraham. In the same way, when God redeems you, when he justifies you, it's not because you have potential. It's because God knows what he can do in and through your life. And that's what he begins to do. Because have you ever thought about um, what if you fail in God's plan? 
Like, what if you fail in the plan that God has in your life? Or, or, or what do you fail? What if you fail in your walk with God? I mean, so God initiates it, and does, does he stick around? Like, what happens if I don't, what happens if I don't make it, right? I mean, sometimes we look at God as the father who's like training his son or his daughter to ride a bike and that God starts it. So maybe we'll start with, yeah, he called Abraham. He initiates it. And so God's like, you're, you're doing good. We're taking the training wheels off. I started this for you. Go ahead. Don't fall. You fail. <laughs> right? It's like, it's like that, that God's just like in a distance going, dang, I saw that coming. Right? And, 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 was, and then when it comes, it's more personal for us because we go, okay, if God initiates it, we learn from Abraham's life, what, what happens if we fail? What if, we, what if we fail morally? What if we fail majorly? What if God has done something in our life and we, we haven't responded to it faithfully? And I, I think that we can be encouraged. Not only do we learn from Abraham's life that God initiates the relationship, what are, another thing that we learn is failure is not fatal. Abraham had just heard from God and he responded right here, first three verses. He, he, he responded to it. Verse four, he leaves. This, this would be like a conversion story that Abraham has just become saved and he believed in God and he's excited. And I don't know if you guys have ever been around people or yourself that, that when they first become Christian, they're really excited and, and, and just want to be around Jesus. And they use words like, I'm on fire for Christ. I'm passionate. I'm doing quiet times and all types of Jesus goodness and whatever language they, they would have. And they're excited. I, I remember being in that same boat and asking a friend of mine, hey, does this ever like wear off? Am I always going to have this Jesus high, or whatever language I would use at the time. And he's like, dude, no, it's forever, man. You won't even want to sin anymore. And I was like, oh, what a liar, right? <laughs> like, gosh. I stopped being friends with him. I, I, I was like, he, he does, he's not a Christian. So there's a, that's well, not true. Not true. But it, it wears off. And then you find yourself doing some of the things that you used to do. Well, Abraham has a major fail. He's on this spiritual high. And they leave, and there's a famine in the land, and then he makes a major fail. I'm going to read it here in chapter 12, beginning in verse 10. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and female camels. So here's what's happening here. This guy just signed a card, just went to a camp, just raised his hand, just received God in his heart. He, he, he has a new faith. And then all of a sudden, God initiates it. He's, he's right before God. And then moments later, like, like a few verses later, he goes to Egypt and he looks at his wife and he goes, uh-oh, this is not going to be good. And he looks at her and he goes, uh, you're really good looking. Like, re- he, goes, he goes, really, like, really good looking. Right? He's overstretches that. And he goes, now here's what's going to happen. When we get there, I'm not that good looking. And they're not going to want anything to do with me. So because you're good looking, I want you to say that you're my sister. 
baby, know that I love you, right? And whenever baby starts getting in there, you know, like, "Uh uh-oh, this is all bad, right? And then he um, says, okay, this is my sister. Pharaoh says, okay, come into my house. And then Pharaoh deals well with Abraham. He, he gives him male servants, female servants, male donkeys, oxen. I mean, oxen? Like, he's balling, right? Like, this, this is what's happening here. Now, let me, let me try to paint this picture. You go, okay, what's so bad about that? I get it. He lied and said he's his sister. I, I, I get that. What's, it's worse than that. Let's paint this in modern day. Just, just wrap your mind around this. Here's a man of God. Here's the man God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to redeem the world and I'm going to work through you. And then moments later, he has his wife. He gives her over to Pharaoh. Pharaoh gives him oxen and male donkeys. Okay, that's equivalent of money. Okay, guys, that's, that's trafficking, right? That's like he's pimped his wife. Like he's just like, here's my wife. Thank you. I'm balling now, right? Like that's not good. Okay, I, I don't know if you know that. I don't, maybe you didn't know that. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be so presumptuous. That's not good. That's never good. There's no woman in this room who's like, man, I want a man like that. You know, I want Abraham, right? I want that type of dude right there. No, not at all. Not at all. And then the reason why I say this is encouraging, I'm not saying it's encouraging because he failed. I'm just happy that it's in the Bible so that we can understand it. In fact, if we jumped ahead, we're not going to do Abraham's whole story today, but if we jumped ahead to, to chapter 16, he fails again. Because God promises Abraham that he's going to have a child. The only way he can have this family is if he has a child. And Abraham's not young. He's not, he's not like most of us in this room. He's not a young person. He probably wouldn't even come to Redemption Tempe. He'd probably go to Gateway. <laughs> They're old and they got animals, right? And so he's, he can... He <laughs> that was a low blow. But accurate. So they're, 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 they're like, he, he, so he goes to his, actually his wife comes to him. He says, we don't have a kid. I'm old. We use words like biological clock here. And we have like certain ages, like, oh, I want to have kids before I'm this age. Okay. Abraham's like in his eighties and his nineties. He's like, dude, I, I'm way past that. And, and, and Sarah comes to him and says, hey, I have this maidservant, um, Hagar. Maybe if you, uh, were intimate with her, you could have a baby. And Abraham's like, yeah, I was, I was thinking the same thing, right? <laughs> and he doesn't trust God. He doesn't trust God. Um, and so, again, it's not encouraging that we just look at people's failures. What's encouraging is, again, it's, it's in the Bible. And what we see is not only does God initiate this relationship, here's why failure is not fatal. Everything in the Bible that is written is written for us to know God and what he is like. Because here's two things that don't change. God doesn't change, and man doesn't change. We see something about God's character in here. We, we, we see something about man's character in here. Because not only did Abraham make mistakes, Sarah made mistakes. It's not just the guys. It's the guys and the girls. It's people. But what does God do? God doesn't go, oh, Abraham, man, that's a major fail. That's totally not what I had in mind. Sorry. Fired. Because when we, when we think about failure, failure is fatal in most, in most circumstances that we find ourselves in. In the marketplace, if you fail, um, you're, you're fired. At, at best, you're, you're on suspension without, you know, with no pay. It, it happens like that if it's in sports. If you, if you fail, you're, you're cut, you're done, or you're on the bench. I mean, there's no other organization, there's no other system, there's no other philosophy that works like this. And yet we all know that we blow it, every single one of us. And so when I see Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of faith, and the way Paul looks at him as a man of faith, he's saying he's just a man of faith. He's not someone to be on a pedestal. Because if you can remember the original context, they looked to Abraham as the dude, as the guy. 
In fact, there was a prayer, the, the prayer of Manasseh. It was found two centuries before the birth of Christ where Hebrew men would pray and they would pray and the words would be similar to this, that Abraham was righteous because of his obedience and he was sinless before God. The thought that Abraham was like, he was there and we're supposed to be like Abraham and Paul's going, no, he's just a guy. He fails just like anybody else. It was not about Abraham. It was about Abraham's God. And when it comes to us, why this is encouraging that we see failure is not fatal is there's not a man in this room, there's not a woman in this room who loves Jesus who has not deeply failed and won't do it again, again, and again. And we, we deal with that pressure, we deal with that guilt, we deal with the shame of it that doesn't come from God, but it's there. And then when we find ourselves in particular sins that we go back to again and again and again, we tried to kick it. Maybe there's been seasons of victory in that particular thing, but we, we're, we're there again. And we find ourselves there. Then we go to our Bibles and we begin to read through Scripture and we find certain Scriptures that we don't read in the context of grace. And we go, it says if a person keeps on sinning, he will fall away from a living God. Or a person that continues to sin in this way shows that he was never a believer. And it's like, then you question your salvation. I know I'm not the only one who's ever been there. We've all been there. In fact, some of us are here tonight hoping that, man, I hope the pastor says something that would make me remember or, or, or remind me that I'm a Christian. Maybe there's a song that the band has played or something will happen and we're looking for it. I'm looking for another study or another group, something to remind me of who I am because I can't kick this thing. This thing. We've been there. We've all been there. Or, or it just feels like sin has us by the neck and won't let go. And again, We've had, we can have moments where it's gone, it's gone, and then it's back. Whatever it is. I don't know your story. You know it. And we've, we've been, we've questioned, are we, are we God's? And, and that's why I said this is encouraging. Because God does not kick Abraham out. And here's why. Because God initiated it, God sustains it, and he'll finish it. There's no such things of damaged goods with, with the Lord. God didn't choose you because of your pedigree. He didn't choose you because of your obedience. He didn't choose you because of your righteousness. He didn't choose you because he thought that you would be morally perfect. No, he's sovereign. Every, there's nothing you've ever done that God, oh, God didn't go, oh, man I didn't, man, I didn't see that coming. Wow, I knew all things, but didn't know that, right? No, he knows it all. And that means the day you wake up, the morning you wake up, that day, whatever your sin may be, God is saying, I still love you the same. I'm still here. Sometimes we have this picture that somehow God is distancing himself from us. No, if anything, in our sin, we are distancing ourselves from God. And what we see in Abraham's life is Abraham's story continues. Why? Because it was never about Abraham's story. In the same way that when we fail, our stories continue because it was never about us. God sovereignly decides to write his autobiography through our lives. And so when he starts the work, he finishes it. And that's why we continue to see Abraham as a man of faith. Paul is saying, no, don't look to Abraham to be like Abraham. Look to Abraham to believe like Abraham, to believe in the one who believes in. Abraham wasn't a good guy. Abraham's God was a good God. And so now when we look at the story of Abraham, we go, not only did God initiate it, no matter where I'm at, I trust that God's work is still going to work in and through me. Amen? Are, are there consequences? Absolutely. In fact, um, in this story here in Genesis chapter 12, um, Pharaoh wakes up one morning and he finds out there's a plague going through his whole house. I don't know what that plague is. It doesn't say. 
But there's a plague with all the men. I'm not sure what it is. But there's a plague through the men of his house. And, and he says to Abraham, what the heck's going on? And Abraham goes, oh, he goes, Abraham, you told me this was your sister. It's your wife. And Abraham's just like, oh, yeah. Sometimes I get those things confused. <laughs> so there's, 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 there's definitely consequences. And, and, and honestly, there's consequences in our lives. Like, depending on how, how, how you sin and what areas and what ways, there's consequences. And we all walk with some sort of limp. We all have memories. There's always a song. There's always a scent. There's always something that reminds us of where we've been. Um, there's always real consequences. But the ultimate consequence, meaning the penalty of sin, God took care of on the cross in Christ Jesus. The reason why we can say failure is not fatal is because in justification, since God starts it, he creates and provides a way that we are never removed from his graces. And he does that through the cross of his son, Jesus. And this was something that God didn't just do in Christ. This was always God's plan. Again, Paul is showing the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is by faith resting in God's grace. So two things so far we've learned. God initiates it. Failure is not fatal. And lastly, the reason why failure is not fatal is because grace is unconditional. Um, when I say grace is unconditional, um, understand this. That is redundant, but it's necessarily redundant. Because we, we oftentimes talk about grace, but I don't think we understand it. That it is unconditional. It's unmerited. God does it. And continuing with Abraham's story, um, Abraham leaves Egypt. Him and his brother Lot find themselves in a tough situation. Abraham saves him, um, and the story continues. We get to Genesis 15. Genesis 15 begins to unpack for us this last point that we learn from justification that grace is unconditional. And in fact, Genesis 15, now Abraham's wondering, okay, I failed. God says he still wants to work through me. I still don't have a kid. My wife's getting old and I'm getting old. We don't see what's going to happen. And then God shows up again to show him the same God who initiated it, the same God who forgave him, is the same God who's going to make sure God comes through on his promises. Because God himself is for his glory. Within his glory, he's redeeming people. And so Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Elazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you were able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offsprings be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. The reason why I had you underline Romans chapter 4, verse 3, is that that is the verse that he quotes here. That is, he's talking to this Jewish audience. He's saying, I'm not giving you new theology. I'm telling you what already was. And so this picture here is important to the story of Abraham. Because what God said is not just a son you're going to get, but a whole family. And God takes him outside and he says, look up in the stars. Like, look up in the sky. Can you count the stars? And and we got to understand, there were thousands and thousands of stars that they can see. We, We don't understand that now. So earlier I realized there was, we can contextualize this. It's like, look up here. Number the popcorn ceilings. As many, <laughs> as ugly as they are, as, as many as they are. He says, as many as the stars. And then Abraham, well, how would I know? And then he, he says this, Abraham believed 
and it was accredited to him as righteousness. The reason why I said earlier that that is the verse is because when God initiates it, failure is not fatal. It's because of God's grace. God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, does it count to him as righteousness? Remember, the Jewish people were saying his righteousness was because of his works. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, if he was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does this scripture say? Paul says, let's go back to your scripture. He goes, he believed God and it was accredited to him. So here's what we know. Belief in faith is the means or the instrument, not the cause. The cause is always God. It's always the gospel. It's always what he does. The instrument in which we receive God is faith, that we rest our life upon faith. And then Paul continues to say it was accredited to him. He did not have righteousness. That's what Paul had been saying three or four weeks ago. No one is righteous. It was accredited. What that means is he was given righteousness on his credit, on his tab. He was treated as righteous. Um, He was looked at as being righteous. And this righteousness came by God. And what Paul is saying is, obedience matters, but it's not what makes you right before God. It precedes. And he's saying, you're trying to be morally upright, which should proceed from the gospel, but you have to understand the gospel is we believe grace is unconditional. God does the work. He establishes it, and he puts it on our record. And he treats us like his son. The benefits of Christ are given to us. A a way to think about this is if you've ever bought a car, if you ever rent a department, um, we'd always have this issue when we'd go to rent an apartment, and many of you in Tempe, you'll, you'll, you'll understand this, is you go to an apartment complex, maybe if you're in college, and you say, hey, we want to rent an apartment, me and my friends, and they run your credit, um, and they go, no. <laughs> and they said, you need to get a cosigner. So you call up your mom, you're like, moms, hey, hey, mom, how you doing? She's like, yeah, I do need something. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> And you get somebody's parent to co-sign for you. And what they do is they run their credit and they go, eh, a little bit better. <laughs> and they begin to allow you to have things only because of them. Meaning they're saying, you aren't good for this. In fact, we don't even trust you. But we know that if you don't come through, they will. We know if you can't keep up your end of the deal, they will. Because there's a history there. That's what credit reports are supposed to be for. There's a history of them being able to be good for it. When it comes to God, he gives us his son, Jesus. There's a history of God always being good, never changing. And what God says is, we're not good for it. But since he started it, and even in our failure, why it's not fatal is because of this grace that's unconditional that God says, I give up and I put up for you my son, Christ Jesus. Therefore, all the benefits that, that which should go to him, you receive. And now we're able to live a life of freedom because the righteousness of Christ has been accredited to us. And when we fail and we don't live up to our end of the bargain, God exacts payment. God begins to do this to Abraham in Genesis 15. And it doesn't just stop there with verse 6. What happens is now God makes a covenant with Abraham. He's reiterating the covenant that he had with them from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 12. But this time God does something that was um, very common in that day. It was called the cutting of the covenant. 
And what they would do is they would take animals, um, people in that culture, they would take animals and they would split the animals in half and half the animals would be over here and the other half of the animal would be here and there'd be kind of a row in between. Oftentimes what would happen is the, the person of greater influence and power would tell the person who they'd lend money to, hey, walk through that. And this is the covenant we're making. If you don't come up with your end of the deal, may what happened to these animals happen to you. So usually it was the, the person of lesser significance would walk through it and go, I, I got to keep up with this. I, I got to live up to this. Or this is what's going to happen with me. Sadly, many p- people believe that's what Christianity is about. Many people believe that Christianity is God saying, hey, I sent my son Jesus. You better do something with it. And if you don't have perfect obedience, see what happened to these animals. Right? Like, oftentimes, honestly, we look at it and go, man, it's, it's up to me, and I'm walking through this, or I'm walking down this aisle, and, and I had to have this perfect obedience. If not, I'm, I'm hosed. Like, I'm done. But when we read Genesis 15, what happens is Abraham takes the animals, he splits them apart, and then God puts Abraham to sleep. This is a deep sleep fell over him. And what happened next is significant. It says that a pillar of fire representing God himself, the one of greater significance, not the one of lesser significance, the one who can come through, not the one who couldn't. He walks between it. And what God was saying is this, Abraham, the covenant that I'm making with you was, is completely up to me. May what happen to me if I don't keep up with my deal to make a family out of you and bless the nation and redeem people. May what happened to me, a covenant of blood, may it happen to me if I don't come through to pay the end that you cannot pay. It's the reason why it's unconditional grace. We were all dead. We were sleeping. We were out. And God himself made a promise to Abraham and that all his offspring would be able to get in on that. That all of his offspring... Paul's telling the Jewish people, the offspring are not those who are offspring biologically. He's saying the offspring are those who, like Abraham, believe by faith. And the way that this promise was fulfilled is that later, years later, when God himself would come and the person of Jesus Christ, in Luke chapter 22, when Jesus sits at the table with his disciples and he looks at them and he takes the cup and he says, this is my cup. This is the blood of covenant, the the covenant of blood. Essentially, what Jesus was saying is, years ago, my father made a promise with your father. And now I'm here to make good on that promise. You did not keep up with your end of the covenant, and so I will pay the price. And Jesus goes to the cross. So now, we get what Paul was saying. When we understand justification, it's never go be good. Try really hard. Be the best Christians you could be. It's always believe in a good God. Trust that he who began a good work will finish its completion. Believe in a good God and know in your deepest, darkest moments that God sent Christ to forgive all your sins, past, present, and future. You ever, you, you ever see that? Why failure isn't fatal? What's so awesome about that story about Abraham is it's post his conversion. And many of us struggle with that. We, we get God's forgiving our sins before we're Christian, but when we, when we're after we're Christian, right? You know that when you still, you have the sins that you did over here, they bleed into your life. And we've talked about this before. It's like, that's really hard. But look in the Bible and go, but wait, God's still working through that. God's still working in your life. God's still going, he's, he's, he's never going to let you go. 
He put up Christ for that, past, present, and future. He initiated. Failure is not fatal. And lastly, that grace is unconditional. That means that God, the, the picture of Christianity is not us holding on to God with some moral strength of obedience of which we have. But the picture is that God himself, the Almighty, with the sovereign grace and love, holding on to us. And when we obey, we obey out of gratitude, not to get his attention, but because we already have it. Amen? Let's pray.